The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. Welcome to episode 43, Anxiety Loves Avoidance. And a little behind the curtain here, folks, uh, for you, the listener, is I was really late to the recording of this podcast. And so it seems like I was avoiding this episode, but it wasn't. I was just dealing with life. (laughs) Yes, but I thought maybe you didn't want to talk about this. And so we were dragging (laughs) your feet a little bit. But I tell you what, uh, it's not going to get easier if you put it off. Because you just got to face it, right? That's right. All right. So the last episode we had was uh, putting the me in mental health that I'd mentioned in that that episode that that was my idea and that we both bring ideas to the table. (laughs) Well, you get a twofer. It's like a roll of the dice in Yahtzee. This one was also my idea um, because as we've talked about many times, uh, the whole uh, podcast was spawned because of uh, my son's uh, living with anxiety. And so he tends to avoid things a lot. And so I said to Nikki, I'm like, I think we we should do this. And you're like, absolutely. That makes great sense. So Things that that parents that you may think are silly, and I'll just say like getting out of bed, getting into the shower, brushing your teeth, just seems like he just procrastinates so much. I get it if it's a a test, you know, something's going to make you anxious, but it's just those simple tasks that he avoids and procrastinates. Mm -hmm. Drives me a little, a little loopy. Yes, but it is all, and we could say unintentionally, but sometimes there is intention behind it, but we'll get into that, um, okay. designed to prevent the thing that he's nervous about. So if you're nervous about going to school, you're nervous about getting on the bus, you're nervous about being in a crowded space, whatever that is, you are going to find little things you need to do and stuff that you can stretch out and things that you could just take your time on because that's going to prolong the thing that that you're really kind of nervous about. And um, it it makes sense. It's a pretty protective behavior. Like, Ooh, I don't want to do that. That seems really hard or scary. I'll just take my time. Right. And so you can see where that would cause problems though too. Right. Sure. But it's, but it's also then very normal for someone with high anxiety to do this. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, for sure. And, and here's the thing, like anxiety and avoidance go hand in hand in lots of spaces. So not just in like the, the, you know, sort of stalling or dragging your feet to get to something. Also just, you know, if there's something you really don't like, or it it causes you to have anxiety, you may very well avoid that thing or avoid talking about that thing or avoid, you know, looking at that thing because just doing so might create anxiety. But the the problem with that, just like if you're avoiding a task or a place or a situation, um, if, if you're avoiding other things that cause anxiety, you're just, you're just increasing your anxiety over time. Because right. when you engage in avoidance behavior, it works, right? It, it like, oh, hey, whew, I don't have to deal with that thing right now because I am not going to face it, right? So it, it actually works and then it reinforces the anxiety. So then you kind of learn like, oh, yeah, I really can't handle that thing and I should not do it because I am much better when I don't have to. Um, and that's, that's not really how you get past it. Because it just prolongs the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you're going to have to take that math test or you're going to have to take that shower or, you know, as Chad loves to talk about children brushing their teeth, you're going to have to brush your teeth. Um, so eventually they're, they're going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. How can you help parents 
help that child. So it's, I mean, this is going to sound like a chorus, right? There's, there's the, the regular listeners are going to be like, ah, oh, again with this. But honestly, if a child has skills and you've taught them skills and they have supports in the environment that they're going to be in, you, you need to push, right? You need to encourage strongly that they go and do the thing and help them to disengage from the avoidant behaviors, right? Okay. So if it's stalling to not get on the bus to go to school, uh, just, just encouraging them through that. But, but you have to realize too, and I, I think I'm backing up from help into more of like what can go wrong when we're avoiding, because I mm-hmm. think we missed an important piece of this. A lot of times if kids are delaying something that seems really uncomfortable, you know, they're taking their time, they're, they're stalling and you push them that that's going to like push them into overdrive. Their anxiety is going to skyrocket. And so right. then you're more likely to see defiant behaviors, meltdowns, pushing back, you know, and, and those kinds of things can make it take even longer and make it even uglier. So it might look like defiant behavior or even aggression and things like that. Um, but really where it started was anxiety. I'm anxious about going to school or I'm anxious about this. And so, um, but the pressure to hurry up and get ready or hurry up and get on the bus or hurry up and do the thing actually inspires further anxiety. So going back to your question of how can we help being aware of that is important, but that doesn't mean that you just kind of let them keep stalling to avoid that discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where we kind of fall back on. How do we teach them? How do we help them to be aware of what's going on in their body? Uh, You know, Hey, let's have a conversation, you know, not when we're in a hurry, by the way, like this is a conversation the night before or the next day or something like that. And you're saying, I notice it takes you quite some time to get ready. And I know you can do things really fast when you want to do something. So I'm wondering if maybe you don't want to go to school. I wonder if maybe there's a part of you that's thinking, gosh, if I just take a little bit longer, then I'll miss the bus and I won't have to go. You think that's happening? And you're just kind of helping them make sense of their own actions and pointing out, you know, so how, how does that feel when you think about getting on the bus? Where do you notice that? Um, does it, does it feel scary? Does it feel overwhelming? Whatever you, you're, you're asking questions and getting them to talk about it in a way that is not a power struggle. And I think that might be, you know, the toughest part is that we as parents are here to guide, right. And support, and we know mm-hmm. what's good for them in most instances, but they don't. And so a lot of times when we're trying to guide, it looks like, you know, unfair pushing, or it looks like being mean and it's really hard. Sure. So if you have those talks again, to reemphasize, not in the heat of the moment, right. not when you're in a rush, yes. when everyone's in the green zone, but then the parents prolong that conversation, mm-hmm. asking for a friend. <clears throat> <laughs> you're just, again, you're putting off the inevitable, but if you never had that conversation, it's just like, it's, it's not even cyclical because mm-hmm. it just keeps going. It's like infinity of mm-hmm. blah. And I think that's, you know, not even necessarily related to avoidance. The, the deal with having these conversations with kids is that they, they do become cyclical and that's because they don't want to hear it, right? That's because they're not mm-hmm. at all interested in what you're talking about. And so it feels like they're not getting it. And it feels like you have to keep saying it and keep revisiting. But, but ultimately to me, like if you've had to say it once or twice and it's, and they're pushing back or they're not listening and they're tuning out, or you just feel like they're not getting it, they're not going to get it, right? That conversation is not going to help anyone at that point. And so it's, it's time to revisit it in another angle or at another time or another state of mind even. So that can be really hard. Well, and let's talk because you and I have children roughly the same age. You can mm-hmm. communicate with them and you can have a good understanding, good conversation. Let's go back a few years. Mm-hmm. If you've got a five or six-year-old who mm-hmm. um, has high anxiety and is delaying things, that can look very aggravating to the parent to where mm-hmm. they push and in the wrong direction. So how can you help 
parents of younger kids that that don't have those verbal skills to have those conversations. And here we are again with, you know, learning to stay calm and recognizing kind of this is, you know, this is me wanting this child to do this thing because that's what the schedule says we have to do or that's because that's what, you know, what they're supposed to do or what I'm supposed to do as a parent. But stepping back from that pressure that we put on ourselves and saying, okay, there's a reason for this behavior. What is it? How can we, how can I meet the need that's behind the behavior? And so I think when as a parent, you can say there's, there's some unmet need here. There's some unrecognized emotional thing um, and that they're showing me with this behavior. What, what do I need to get from that? And, and I think when you hone in on that and you, you spend a little time focusing on that, instead of like, my kid is supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm a bad parent if I can't make that happen, you, you can diffuse yourself. And then that gives you kind of the what you need in order to help diffuse the child. And, and, and it is really hard. I mean, I've probably given this example already in other situations because it was kind of a difficult moment for me, but um, my kiddo was having a hard time, you know, getting out of the car and going into the school when she was mm-hmm. much younger, probably first grade, maybe. Um, Same. Yeah. And just really struggling. And and I had the, the teacher kind of yelling at me in the drop-off lane to hurry up and move my car. And my kid <laughs> is freaking out and I'm freaking out and ready to call everyone names. And, you know, in the end, the teacher took her and they got her in and they let me know later on that she was calm and fine and having a really good day and everything worked out fine. But like in that moment, you know, I didn't, I was mad. I was frustrated. I wanted to yell at her. I wanted to, you know, like, you can't act like this. You know, I I certainly was not tuning into my own anxiety and noticing that that's what was at the root of hers. Um, To me, it just looked like defiant behavior. And I think that's, that's a really important point to come back to, which is a lot of times anxiety and avoidance look like stubborn right? It looks like a child that's digging their heels in and saying, I don't want to do this thing. And so, you know, of course we're pushing harder as a result of that. And, and I don't know about you, but like stubborn is my trigger as a parent. When I see a child being stubborn, I kind of lose it. Yeah. I I think I would be uh, in your club. Yeah. It's a very frustrating place to be. (laughs) I don't think it would be a fun club. I think we would just be sort of irate and say naughty words a lot. <laughs> so you're telling me you're going to put off starting the stubborn. I am. Plan. I'm going to. I'm going to avoid right. that. So, and, and I don't want to change away from this because I'm very aware that we haven't offered a lot of help yet. But I do want to bring up another angle of avoidance um, because okay. I think that we're looking at it in terms of stalling behavior and that kind of thing. But there's other places where you can see it too, and so. And in other places where you might want to take a different approach. So a child who's been through a traumatic event should not mm. just necessarily go with the get back up on the horse mentality, right? Like, yes, if you've been in a car accident or you've been riding your bike and you had an accident and you're like, oh, no, I'm never going to ride it again. I'll get hurt again. Obviously, we know that the longer that child waits to try that thing again, like the harder it's going to be, right? The bigger their fear is going to get and the harder it's going to be for them to believe that they can do that thing safely. So it is important that they reface the scary thing if it's something like that. But that is when, when you're dealing with potential trauma symptoms, you, you really need to make sure they have the support and the skills like extra. And there's certain ways to go about like putting, you know, like encouraging people to face their anxiety in those situations. And that might be a little bit different and, and require a little bit of a different angle or a different approach in treatment and that kind of thing. So does that make sense? It does. And I'm sitting there going and you kind of hit on a little bit about like there's so much of that that's outside the home. Mm-hmm. That's going into school. A few episodes we go, we talked about, you know, the baseball team and, and stuff. It's, it's, it's like, where do you, where do you stop? And I know you you say if they have the support they need, then go ahead and push, but they're not going to have that support everywhere they go. So at what point does, this, does the parent say it's, it's, 
it's not worth it to do Little League this year because we're probably not going to have the support there. Yeah. And I, I think that that's an important call that we have to make sometimes is just, this isn't, we're not ready. We don't have the skills or support to be successful. And, and ultimately, I mean, I think we talked about this on a sports episode when we were talking about sports ball, <laughs> but like <laughs> where, if, if, if the idea behind, you know, children in competitive sports and, and different team sports and things like that is to learn skills and make friends and gain leadership skills and things like that. And they're not going to get that experience because they're terrified or because yeah. they're mad or they're fighting their way through every game or meet or match or whatever. And it's just, it's just not giving them that experience. Then it, it, you're, you're not winning anyway. And it's better to wait, do some other things that might help you get to that point and then reintroduce the thing. So it, mm-hmm. it is hard. And sometimes avoiding for a little while is okay until you're ready for it. But then you get it. I uh, get all sappy because you know kids grow up, and it happens pretty darn fast. Mm-hmm. You get one childhood, so if you're going, okay, we're not going to do little league this year, and the next year it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you've aged out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's then then you feel bad for them. But again, I get what you're saying that you can't push too much, but you got to push enough. It's uh-huh. just. Dang it, it's tricky. It is. And and it's, I mean, I'm sitting here kind of like biting through my own like lip and tongue because it's really hard to know where the line is. I mean, my kiddo had mm. a hard time a couple of weeks ago. It was, it was, you know, lessons, particular lesson she had that evening. And I don't want to do this. And I've been telling you, I don't want to do this. And you're making me do it. Now I can step back from that situation. And I can say without a doubt that this had nothing to do with what she wants to do in the grand scheme of life. This was she was doing something at home she wanted to do and didn't want to be interrupted to go do that thing because we had not had this conversation prior to that like little meltdown. So in that case, there was like no thought of, oh, well, maybe we should give her a break or maybe we shouldn't do this or maybe we shouldn't push her. No, because it was an isolated sort of thing. So my point here is that like you kind of watch for patterns, right? So if your child is having like an epic meltdown prior to every gymnastics lesson or prior to, you know, and it just isn't getting better and you're talking through it and you're trying and you're letting the teacher kind of do their thing because they they have ways of engaging kids and doing stuff that parents maybe can't do as well um, and none of that is working. Okay, let's look at it. But like one meltdown, isn't necessarily, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. It it might just be right now. I don't want to do it. And that's okay. We still do it. (laughs) I would add to that from a parent standpoint, having those conversations with those coaches, those instructors, you know, whatever, just to kind of explain things. Not everybody gets it Mm -hmm. and that's okay. To be honest with you, I didn't get it Mm -hmm. until I had to get it. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you become a little bit more empathetic and, and, um, calm Mm -hmm. and discuss it. And and of course we started the podcast because of this, but it's like, I like, I like talking about it and having those conversations. I no longer feel like I'm making excuses Mm -hmm. for his behavior. I'm just, I'm saying this is, this is how he's wired and this is how he reacts when you do this versus if you do it this way. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to watch the people who get it. And we've talked about in past episodes too, of like, when you get those people, you just glom onto them because they get it. And then you get folks who don't get it, but are open to it and they learn. And I've had, I've had people come back to me and go, your son has taught me how to be a better blank parent, coach, teacher, whatever, because of this. And I'm like, great. Then we're doing our job of, of, of talking about it. It kind of stinks that he's having to go through all this and the, the stress of anxiety, but he's making, he's making the world a better place. That's right. Without even trying. That's right. So I encourage you, parents, to to talk about it and, and tell people. And, and don't approach it as you're making excuses for your child. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked, again, it's like this is a look back episode, one of those, you know, on, on TV when you get the, 
the rerun episodes, the lookbacks, because mm -hmm. like they've got low budgets and they got to put a show on, but right. they, <laughs> they do the clip show, clip show. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. It, it's going back to, and it's hard to do, not apologizing for their behavior, mm -hmm. but just kind of explaining it better. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to where it's, it's, I intentionally don't say, I'm sorry this happened. Mm -hmm. Eh, you know, I'm not because that's who he is. Right. And, and when it, sorry, isn't, you know, quite the right emotion there. I, I do think right. it's, it's powerful to have these conversations and to take the defensiveness out and be able to say, Hey, this is kind of how it works. And this is why we're doing this, this, and this. And I think when we're letting our kids get away with stuff or we're making excuses, that looks more like never having a consequence for inappropriate things. And I, you know, right. even when our kids who may have trouble with anxiety or ADHD or any other mental health condition, even when they make a mistake or they do something they shouldn't do, there's a consequence for that, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's holding them accountable. It just, it may take them a little bit longer for that accountability to kick in and have their, their brain go, Oh, I should not do that anymore. That's really causing problems and I need to do it this way. That takes time. And so I do think that, you know, anytime a, a parent willing to sit down and have a conversation with another adult who's working with their child in a way that you just, you don't have to have any defensiveness. You don't have to apologize. You're not owning yeah. something that's not yours to own. You're just saying, Hey, let's troubleshoot this. Let's talk about it. I want to educate you mm -hmm. on my child. The majority of adults I've encountered want to know, and they, mm -hmm. they want to know how the, how they can help the situation. And so if we all kind of come at it with that attitude, I think it's a better place. Like I said, I, it, and it's, I, I, you know, I've had success with it. So mm -hmm. I, I concur. And I also say, you know, that there are people who just don't get it and won't get it. Mm -hmm. And so that's an easy fix of going, okay, we're done here. <laughs> we don't need you in, in that aspect of yeah. our life. Like the memes that I see, those aren't your people. You don't need that negativity yeah. in your life. You know, seek, <laughs> exactly. seek those that are going to support you. And I, I think so like taking it back to this idea of avoidance, I mean, there's avoidance all the time and it, it links back to our fight or flight process. I mean, even procrastination of tasks that seem sort of daunting at work, that's, that's a form of like anxiety and avoidance. I have this task that has been on my to-do list for longer than I care to admit. And I just, I looked at it today and, and kind of thinking about this episode and what we were going to talk about, I'm like, oh my gosh, it is anxiety that is keeping me from tackling this because I know it's going to be hard and I know it's going to involve a lot of interaction with a lot of different people and it's going to be frustrating and tedious and I don't want to do it. And so I am, I'm just, oh, nope, don't have time to do it today. And then I have to move it to, you know, further down the list. But that's, right. that's me giving into my anxiety about it instead of just going, nope, you know what? I have the skills, I have the support and I have the knowledge. I'm going to get through this and get it done. And I will feel a million times better when it's completed than if I just keep dragging it out forever, right? But kids don't know that yet. And that's the hard part about what we were talking about earlier. When they're stalling, when they're dragging their feet to go to do a thing that makes them feel really anxious, they have no idea that just facing it is going to build them some confidence. It's going to get them to the other side of that mountain and they're not going to have to feel that anxious anymore. But they don't, they don't get that. And so that's where our job is to help them to, to see the big picture, to see that, yep, this feels really hard right now. But every single time you do it, you're going to get better at it. And as you get better at it, it's going to get easier. And as it gets easier, you're not going to be afraid anymore. And then it won't seem so hard. And, and I just, I think we have to illustrate that for kids and we have to help them see it because they can't yet. And mimicking that too, because I think everybody on this planet avoids something, a task, like you said, they don't want to do or something that's going to be hard. doesn't mean that they have extra anxiety. Everybody has that anxiety. It's built into us. It's what keeps us safe. And then once you do it, it's sometimes not as hard as what you thought. So encouraging your kids to do that. And I wonder too, where, you know, if the, if the human brain isn't fully developed by 25, can eight-year-olds 
understand big picture talk. I So, okay, very good point because you're right. Like that's the key. That's why this is so hard. They don't have a fully developed brain. They're still growing. So things like perspective and understanding that, you know, this is a tiny thing in the big scheme of life. That's, that's not a skill that an eight-year-old has, but you can sort of break it down for them and help them to begin to see that, right? You can begin to plant the seeds for perspective by pointing out when they do just that, but in a smaller way. So like, starting with something small, like they're, they're building a Lego set and on the front end of the Lego set, it looks kind of challenging. And they're thinking, Oh, I, I don't know if I can do this one. This one looks really, really hard, but then they work through it. Cause it's a toy, right. And it's fun. It's something they like to do. And they're, it's hard, but it's not anxiety inducing in that same way. And so then they get done and you go, wow, you did it. You didn't think that you could, you thought this one was going to be really hard. How did you do it? Right. And you're you're asking them to think about what they did to get through that thing. And and I just use Legos because I'm a Lego nerd and I, I like Legos. But there's Legos are fun. other other toys and activities and tasks and, and things that they've learned. You can even take it back to things they've done a while back. So maybe they've learned to ride their bike and they're really good at riding their bike. Have them think about how did you feel the first time you rode your bike? How did you feel the first time you got on the school bus? How did you feel, you know, all those first and have them kind of reflect back and how do you feel about it now? And what helped you to get better at doing that? And and this this definitely like feels like the conversation, depending on the age and developmental level of your child, you may get some eye rolls. You know, if I tried to do this with my <laughs> teenager, it's definitely going to, oh, mom, come on, you know. But if you're having those conversations from early on, they kind of get used to that sort of cheerleading and they, and they go, yeah, you're right. Like I did the thing. And then they get better at looking for those examples themselves and going, yes, this is really hard because I tell you what I am grown. Okay. And I've done a lot of hard things in my life. And Mm -hmm. even now when I face something challenging, I have to talk to myself and be like, you did this, 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 and this, you can handle this thing, right? You, you, you can get through hard stuff. Like we have to have that internal voice that helps coach us through. And eventually we, we have it ourselves, but we have to be that voice for our kids now. And when is the last time you did not survive something that made you anxious? Right, right. exactly. Right? Like I, yeah, I, I said, I think that exact same thing yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I've survived everything difficult up to this point. So I think I'm going to be okay in this situation, you know? Yeah. And then mimicking it too, as I kind of started to allude to there earlier of letting them see something that you don't want to do that you're putting off and then seeing yes. that you do it and, and that it wasn't that yes. hard or... And when I think of that, I try to do that. I'll be like, oh my gosh, I thought doing the dishes was going to take 19 hours and I put it off. And remember when I was complaining about how long I didn't want to do dishes and take forever. It took me eight minutes to get those done. That wasn't that big a deal. Right. And so you can highlight the fact that you, you are in fact overcoming mountains every day too. I also think it's important like to, to help generate family language around challenging tasks. And so I said overcoming mountains because we like mountains, right? So I'll use that. (laughs) If my kid is working on her, you know, the math program that's on the computers that they do for school, I'll be like, gosh, that's a really big mountain. How are you going to climb it? You know, what what tools do you need to get over this mountain? I think when you can find that common language and they get used to hearing it, they start to use it too. And that's that's adorable when you see them do it. (laughs) So going back a little bit in this episode, Nikki, you talked about not jumping back on the horse right away if you've been bucked off a horse. But is there a way to stair step it of maybe, okay, we go and we look at the horse and then we pet the horse. And of course the horse is an analogy for whatever you're avoiding. Yep. That's exactly right. And it was the name of the the horse that I bet on was uh, avoidance. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Captain he, avoidance. he didn't win the race is all I'm no, saying. Yeah. Really. He's still at the start gate yeah, actually. Never left. Yeah. Oh man. We can unpack that for a little while. Um, so yes, with, 
one disclaimer, like if you've had a, if you or your child has had a horribly traumatic event, like get professional help to deal with that. If there's been some kind of an assault, uh, physical violence, abuse, uh, witnessing death, um, something like that, horrible car accident, that kind of thing. Like don't, don't try to create a treatment plan for that kind of thing on your own. There are people, professionals who are experts at helping kids to navigate those kinds of things so that they can sort of organize the experience in their brain and and walk away with fewer long-term symptoms. So it's important that if it is a, a severe or life-threatening thing to, to not just, you know, oh, here, we're going to ease back in. Um, I, I remember a few incidents when I was in high school. I, <laughs> I think, let's see, I was in a car accident caused by my own poor driving. I know how many 16 year olds do you know are not great drivers? Uh, but yeah. it, it, we'd had like an ice storm and I ended up rear-ending someone and it was a whole thing. Um, but I remember the first time that I saw the car after the accident, just, I melted, like just absolutely melted. And then I didn't want to see it again. I didn't want to go anywhere near it. And I, you know, they were talking about getting it fixed back up. I'm like, Nope, never driving that car again. I don't, I'm never going to drive a car again, you know, like that kind of thing. So, but the thing is that over time, you know, I think my parents instinctively knew, like, she's going to get to the other side of this, right? So, you know, I would go near the car as my dad was working on it, and I would sit in it, or I would, I would kind of lean against, you know, and just kind of easing into that idea of like, okay, okay, something scary happened. And, and you are like, when you're face to face with something, you know, that reminds you of something difficult that happened, you do kind of have to sit with it. And that's part of the fear for people is I don't want to remember that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to have that experience again, right? Um, but, but you do kind of have to ease into it. And so anything else like that, if you've got a child, they've, they've crashed their bike and now they're scared of their bike. Let's, let's get that bike fixed up. Let's spend time around our bike, but let's not get on it the first minute. You know, if you have a child who's willing to do that, great, but they're probably not dealing with anxiety. But if it is something that like that, you can tell there's a lot of avoidance. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go near it. You can start to have conversations about it. You can look at photos. You can, you know, just, just ask just gentle questions and then leave it alone for a little while, then come back and just gradually kind of ease in and give me some examples. Like what are some other things that kids might need like a little bit of easing into to reduce their ability? One thing in some of the examples we've talked about now of getting in the shower or getting on the bus, getting out of the car to go to school, that's hard to stair step mm-hmm. when you're like in the drop-off line at school because you got a bunch of parents behind you that have to get to work too. Um, <laughs> they're, but all, what, what it, <laughs> they're all very honky at that point. There. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The, the drop-off line is no joke. I mean, people are super serious about drop-off. They are, because we've all got places to be. But w- what about some of those minor things? Like, and I, you know, I use the word minor because to me it's minor, but getting on the school bus. Mm-hmm. But to that kiddo, it's a, it could be a hugely horrifically anxiety-inducing event. Yeah. So is it just a matter of step outside, wait for the bus. Maybe we, maybe I'm going to take you today, but you're going to wave to the bus as it goes by. You could, I don't know. Yeah. You could definitely do that where you ease into it. Um, other things you could do, you, we talk about stair stepping. You could also sort of mm-hmm. sandwich it. So we're going to use another, another term that I'm completely making up off <laughs> the top of my head here, but, but you can, you can say, okay, so, you know, I, I, these are the things you have to do before you get on the bus. And so you can, you can make a, like a schedule or a list. You can make a visual schedule, which I think we talked about in a previous episode, but like where there's like pictures of what they're going to do kind of in the order they're going to do them. And then they do those. And so it's, it's like, okay, I'm just focusing on this one thing right now. And that sometimes helps kids to not like focus in on the anxiety so much as the task at hand. Um, And so we can talk more about 
visual schedules and, and that kind of a thing. Um, actually, our next episode that may come up. So we'll talk about that later. But anyway, yeah. so a piece of it is having, you know, concrete routines built in. So there's just less opportunity for stalling in the morning or during the process of whatever it is we're leading up to the the thing we're avoiding. But then the other side of that is what are some incentives? What are some things you can put in place to make it so a child wants to get on the bus and go to school without a lot of hoopla? You know, I was just getting ready to bring up rewarding. So yeah. So, you know, you did all the things on your list and you got on the bus on time today. And so, you know, good job. And like, maybe it's, I don't know, something silly in the moment, a sticker, right? But then maybe that sticker gets turned into something later in the day. Or or maybe when we get home, because we, you know, did such a good job and we faced our fear and we got on the bus, now we can we can have a reward or, or get to do an extra privilege in the evening because we were able to do it. But it's, it's sort of like providing incentive to motivate them towards the thing that's, that's hard. And, and I'll do that. Like if I have to go, for example, I have a kind of a scary meeting in the morning. Um, so I'm going to get up extra early and I'm going to stop at the coffee shop on the way, which is something I rarely ever do. And so like, that's my incentive to get me to go face the anxiety thing, because in order to get, I'm going to have coffee. So, um, I think having routines and schedules and, and helping kids kind of know what's expected and making that very clear. Make sure you're getting up in enough time and you've done as much as you can the night before to prepare and you've talked about it, you've validated. And then when you do the thing well, you kind of give them reason to want to do the thing well. And and um, you can also kind of build supports on the other side too. So if you know getting on the bus is really hard and the bus ride there is really hard because that anxiety goes up, you know, is this is there something they can do on the bus that helps them? Do they like to do coloring or word puzzles or is there something you can have in their bag that they're allowed to use on the school bus only that kind of helps them bridge that gap. And so it's, it's kind of thinking about every aspect of it to try to reduce the power struggles that can come out of avoidance anxiety. And have them be part of the conversation. Yes. What do you think would help you yes. do X, Y, and Z? Yes. They, they need, right. they need to be part of that. And you know, their, their ideas are sometimes things like, yeah, well, just don't make me go. And then we won't have to worry about it. But that's, but if you're, if you take this, the conversation seriously, they can usually give you some really great ideas. I think I also want to take this time in this episode because it's been a while since we've mentioned it, but at least in the state of Illinois where we are, children are allowed five mental health days a year Mm -hmm. and we've used them. We've gotten zero guff from the school district. We've used them before they were law, but just a reminder to parents that if your kiddo is having a particularly tough morning and struggling and you're trying to push them, but you just see that they're not going to go, instead of having them go to school and have an incident or something, keep them home. Like it's, it's state law and hopefully other states are, are following that lead. Cause I just think that's a, that's a great thing to have mm-hmm. in your arsenal. I mean, adults kind of get that. Yeah. We, we have personal days usually, yeah. you know, sick days. So I know that we're trying to wrap up here, uh, but I like to introduce new information in the conclusion. It's my trademark. So, um, <laughs> one other thing to think about is that when a child is experiencing anxiety in a given setting, the longer they avoid that setting, the worse the anxiety gets. So our mm-hmm. instinct can be truly like you're talking about kids, you know, staying home from school because they're just, you know, they're going to have a tough day, but know that avoidance anxiety is going to increase the longer they're home. So if you've got a kiddo who say it's a long weekend, right? They get like, well, our kiddos have spring break coming up. And Mm -hmm. so kids who have a lot of avoidance anxiety are going to enjoy that because they don't have to go to school for a whole week, right? But that avoidance anxiety is going to kick into high gear, you know, that night before they go back to school and allowing them to stay home on that Monday would be really potentially, you know, risky in terms of maintaining the anxiety. And so 
knowing that the longer a child is allowed to avoid discomfort, the stronger the anxiety gets and the harder it's going to be to break. And so one of the things I've worked on with families of anxious children is really having some set guidelines for how and when they can miss school so that, you know, kids aren't able to, you know, stay out more than they need to, right? Like I definitely believe that mental health days are a really good thing for kids. And I want parents to trust their gut on when their child needs that. Mm -hmm. But I also think as a general rule of thumb, school is where they should be. And so whatever we can do to help them to stay in school and whatever guidelines we can put in place to make it more concrete so kids don't have to decide. It's just, well, I'm going, so how am I going to deal with it is a very different thing than should I go or not or do I have to go or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can almost take the pressure off of them a little bit, take that anxiety Mm -hmm. away a little by not allowing them that choice. Like this is what we're going to do and what can we do to help you? Yeah, absolutely. And then like you said, of pushing people where they have support, Mm -hmm. Hopefully they have the support system at school and it's like laying out to them like, okay, when you start to feel overwhelmed, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? Uh, I also don't think this episode is complete unless we mention that like physical symptoms of anxiety are very, very present in kids who are experiencing kind of this avoidance tendency, right? So tummy aches, I'm Mm. sick, I don't feel well. A lot of times those are what the child is experiencing, but you may look at them and be like, you're fine. You just, you know, you just ate a sleeve of uh, Oreos. Like, I think you're going to be okay. That helps Um, tummy aches. And (laughs) it solves them every time. But knowing that like avoidance anxiety comes hand in hand with this, this like physical, like my head hurts, my tummy hurts, I don't feel well. And so we as parents have to be like kind of medical detectives of like, yeah. I don't know, we really are this anxiety. And then helping kids to see that. Because that's much harder than you'd think. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've worked with even like 15, 16 year olds who are like, no, I just feel sick. It's I'm not nervous. And, and it's very clear that there's something that they're avoiding. There's something that's making them anxious. And so helping them to tie all those pieces together is a really big part of them having the confidence to overcome their anxiety themselves. All right. Well, there's been a lot of information here to digest. So Thank you for sharing everything and thank you for hanging with us as we uh, got through this. Don't forget we are on social media uh, at Scrambled Podcast um, on Facebook. You can like and review us, rate and review us rather on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate that. Our next episode, we are going to talk about sensory processing disorders and we're going to have a special guest for that to talk us through that. So as always, we appreciate you listening and sharing this episode to those who you think would find this helpful. Our whole goal of starting this podcast was to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you. 